This is Craig Brown, and welcome to Passages. Passages is a space to explore Bible passages used in churches for preaching, reflection, and prayer. My hope is that Passages will shine a unique light on text used in the lectionary in the coming weeks. The passage we're looking at today is from Acts chapter 1, verses 1 to 11. It's the text for Ascension Sunday in the year B cycle of the lectionary, which happens to be on May 16, 2021. On that particular Sunday, there's a separate lectionary reading for that particular day. And then there's also this reading that can be used for the Ascension Day itself. And that's what this text is from Acts 1, the text for the Ascension. As we look at this text, there's really a beginning, a middle, and an end. And in today's podcast, I want to talk about the beginning first, I want to talk about the end second, and then I want to talk about the middle last. Let's begin, of course, well, at the beginning. And we find as Acts chapter 1 opens, we really begin to understand that Acts is the sequel to the Gospel of Luke. It's actually written by Luke, of course. And Luke addresses Acts to Theophilus, someone he also names in the Gospel of Luke. Uh, The word Theophilus literally means lover of God, and it can be a specific name, and many are suspect that it is addressed to an individual named Theophilus, perhaps the, the benefactor or the sponsor of the writing Luke did of both Luke and Acts, or it could just simply be more generic, a lover of God. Regardless, Luke writes this work to try to explain and to unpack exactly what happens through the apostles in the days following Jesus' ascension. And so Acts begins with the ascension itself, and Luke introduces this work to Theophilus and tells us some very intriguing things at the beginning of Acts chapter 1. He first tells us that this book is going to describe all the things Jesus began, began to do. That word is particular. It's not a mistake that it's there. In many ways, Luke is outlining um, a framework for the acts of the apostles, really the acts of the Spirit, and that Jesus begins this work, but it often falls to us through the power of the Holy Spirit to continue that work. So Jesus begins things. And oftentimes when we think of the life of Jesus, we think of it in this like cosmic totality that the life, ministry, death, and resurrection of Jesus sum up the redemptive work of God. In reality, Jesus begins that redemptive work, and what Jesus quite clearly tells us in these opening verses of the book of Acts is that work is now handed to us. It's here in Acts chapter 1, we find the only place where it's mentioned how long Jesus was with his disciples following his resurrection. It tells us that he was with them for 40 days. In the liturgical year, we celebrate Easter as a 50-day feast, in contrast to the 40 days of Lent. And so the ascension occurs 40 days after Easter, which would place it in the middle of a week rather than on a Sunday, and thus the confusion about what the reading is on Ascension Sunday, because Ascension Day actually is four days before it. Regardless of how we celebrate the ascension on the liturgical calendar, the reality is is that Jesus spent these 40 days with his disciples, and Luke tells us very specifically what Jesus did. 
It said first that he presented himself alive after death. Luke tells us that Jesus provided convincing proofs of who he was and the reality of his resurrection. And he spoke of things related to the kingdom of God. The speaking of these things related to the kingdom of God are important. And kingdom language is important in the book of Acts as it is in the Gospels. There there are two competing kingdoms at work within this world of Jesus and of the apostles. The kingdom that we call the Roman Empire and the kingdom of Israel. And this kingdom language is critical because it's in this first century world that this new kingdom is emerging, this kingdom that Jesus himself inaugurates and then is handed to us through the Spirit. And so, of course, the danger is that we align the word kingdom with some kind of uh, political agenda or some form of colonialism. Far from it. Jesus makes clear, even in this very text we're going to look at today, that that's not the nature of this kingdom. This kingdom has some important characteristics. And so let's stay with this text a little bit to see how we might learn why this kingdom language is so important. At the beginning, Jesus tells the disciples to stay in Jerusalem so that they could receive the promise of the Holy Spirit that would come from the Father. What's interesting about this text in Acts is in these opening verses, we find a very Trinitarian form where there is this interplay between the words and actions of Jesus, what the Holy Spirit will bring when the Holy Spirit comes, and the work of the Father in this text. And we're going to talk more about the Spirit in a moment, but at the beginning, we're focused on Jesus. And as this text comes to a close in verses 9, 10, and 11, we find Jesus departing on a cloud, ascending. Clouds in Scripture are a a vehicle of sorts. You might remember the story of the prophet Elijah who's taken up on a cloud. Uh, This uh, notion of clouds being used as vehicles was not only common in the biblical sense, but it was common in the Roman world for different Roman gods to travel the skies or the cosmos using clouds. Jesus, we're told, will return in similar fashion. And so what we have here is a bracketing of Jesus as the beginning. Remember how this text started when, the- when Luke writes to Theophilus. He says in verse 1, The first account I composed, Theophilus, about all that Jesus began to do and teach. So in many ways, Jesus is about the beginning. And as we hear in Luke chapter 1, verse 11, he's the finisher as well, the one we will see once again at the end of all things. And and the key passage for us here is that Jesus sets things in motion. The fixation on Jesus and the works of Jesus is well intended, but we cannot do that to the point that denies the wonder-working power of the Spirit that we're going to hear about in this very text. Sometimes the fixation on the moral do-goodings of Jesus keep us from understanding how the power of the Holy Spirit compels us and leads us into doing those very same things and even greater things. That's the beginning. And so as I told you at the beginning of this podcast, we were going to look at the beginning, the ending, and the middle. So let's talk about the ending. The ending really happens in a particular verse here at verse 6 that before Jesus's ascension, it says, when they had come together, they were asking him, the disciples were asking Jesus, Lord, is it at this time you're returning or restoring the kingdom to Israel? 
If there was ever a moment in a text where one might do a face palm, this is probably it. After all of this time, after all of this ministry, after the resurrection of Jesus, of 40 days of being together, the most important question the disciples can form is, Lord, is it at this time you're restoring the kingdom to Israel? You see, they jump they jump to the ending, and the ending in their mind is a social and political ending, and it's linked, of course, to the kingdom of Israel. They want to know if the kingdom is going to be restored. What they're asking is, is if the kingdom of Rome is going to be deposed and that the kingdom of Israel, which was to be a light to all nations, is now going to be restored. And probably implied in their question is, uh, what role will all of us have in that kingdom as it's restored. You see, they see Jesus at the beginning, but they also see Jesus as the ending. And the orientation of their question in many ways is self-absorbed. They jump right to the end of the story. Is it this time the kingdom is going to be restored? The whole missionary effort of Jesus is lost. They see it and the reality of Jesus only in relationship to themselves. And Jesus responds, he says, only the Father knows times. This is important, that we're not to hold these questions of timing. And to be honest, as human beings, we're frankly rather obsessed with timing, and we're obsessed with kingdom building. And Jesus tells us this is not the nature of who we are. The key passage here for us is this, is that timing and the timing of things is not our calling. Something else is. You see, a, a, a fixation on Jesus in some ways can lead us to a rejection of the work of the Spirit. And likewise, a fixation on time and the timing of things rejects the texture of relationships and humanity. The disciples in asking their question aren't really concerned about what happens to everyone else. They're concerned what happens to them and to the kingdom of Israel. Jesus is, in some ways, offering them a new way of being, a new kind of kingdom or kingdom in which we understand ourselves as part of a redemptive movement that transcends empires and kingdoms and governments. It leads us into a new age in which the reign and rule of God come into being. If Jesus is the beginning, the disciples want to jump to the ending, and they're told that well, you don't hold the ending. You don't hold the timing. What we hear in Acts is about this middle. And it's this middle that's the heart of Luke's story. So as I said at the beginning of the podcast, we talk about the beginning, we talk about the ending, and now let's focus on the middle. The middle is the heart of Luke's story in Acts. And the Holy Spirit is the chief character and actor in the book of Acts. The book is called The Acts of the Apostles, but in many ways, that's a misnomer. It's really the Acts of the Spirit. Jesus tells the disciples in his instructions to them to wait in Jerusalem that John, that's John the Baptist, baptized you with water. And what we know about that baptism is that it was a, a, a baptism for the repentance of sins. It had to do with a baptism of changing our orientation or moving from an orientation from our, our own sinfulness toward a life that is sanctified in the Spirit. 
But Jesus tells us that while John baptized with water, and that has value, that we are now going to be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Now, being baptized with the Spirit is common language in Pentecostal circles, but oftentimes in liturgical circles, this notion of being baptized in the Spirit is a bit lost on all of us. What does it mean to be baptized in the Spirit? Well, this word is used in chapter 1, verse 8 of Acts later, when it talks about how the, you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. This word for baptize, baptizo, it means to dip or to immerse. And what we learn in verse 8 is that this baptism with the Holy Spirit is going to do two things. Jesus says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be or will be my witnesses. Power and witness are the two things that the baptism of the Holy Spirit brings to us. Power. These are the giftings and the manifestations of the Spirit. That word for power in verse 8 is a Greek word, dunamis. And dunamis is a word that's used to refer to explosive power, immediate power, power that reveals itself in front of others. Uh, we get our English word dynamite from it, but don't get them confused. Dunamis and dynamite are different things. This power that God is going to give us is going to give rise to our capacity to witness, to witness who Jesus is, witness what God is doing in the world, and to bear witness of how that power has shaped our life. Power and witness go together. Both of these phrases in verse 8 function almost as kind of verbal imperatives. You will receive power and you shall be my witnesses. There's not a lot of option in this language. Power and witness are the core of the story. The word for witness in Greek is martyr, and it means to, um, of course, bear witness or to give testimony. We get our English word martyr from the very same word. Power and witness is at the heart of what it means to be engaged in the work of the church. And this work, as we know, is not about timing. It's actually about the mission. It's about how we link the beginning and the end. How do we move from the beginning we have heard in Jesus to the ultimate, really, end of all things? That's the mission. Jesus began, and then there is this Father who holds time, the ending, and we connect the dots between the two. It tells us that the mission of the church is given in verse 8, that we'll receive power and that we'll be witnesses where? In Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the remotest part of the earth. Jerusalem, of course, the city of Jerusalem in the mountains of Palestine. And then Judea, which is the region surrounding Jerusalem. And then Samaria, which is the neighboring region to the north. And then even to the remotest part of the earth. If you were to ask anyone in the ancient world, what's the most remote part of the earth? They would be able to tell you quite easily. Rome is one end and Ethiopia is the other. And that's really what the book of Acts ties together. In Acts chapter 8, we read about the Ethiopian. And in the rest of the book of Acts, through the closing chapters, we read about Paul's journey ultimately to Rome. It's the mission that we're called to do that's in the middle, and that the church has no purpose outside this. When Jesus ascends, 
All the disciples are standing there looking up into the sky, and two angels appear there. It says in verse 10. And the angels ask them, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into the sky? This Jesus who's been taken up from heaven will come in the same way you have watched him go into heaven. You've probably heard the adage before that uh, we should not be so heavenly minded that we're of no earthly good. Why do you look up in the sky? The hope of God is not far off. The hope of God is not in another place. The hope of God is in us by the power of the Holy Spirit. And the key passage here is that we cannot witness without that power. And that that power is for the purpose of witness. They're linked together. Our capacity to engage in this missionary work is intrinsically linked to the baptism of the Holy Spirit. How are we experiencing that baptism? How do we understand the power of God that is in us? How does that power manifest itself? How do we see it evidenced in our own life and in the life of our community? Friends, we're called to be on a mission, to be witnesses, to go, to be out in the world, revealing the redemptive work of God. Certainly there's a beginning, and certainly there's an ending, but God has called us to be the middle. We are the way in which that beginning and ending get bridged. God has deigned to give each of us and together the Holy Spirit, and this is our evangelistic effort. God is already working. God is already about the redemption of all things. What God needs is for those of us with the Holy Spirit to bear witness to it. And in this world that is so desperate to see a power that transcends so many of the powers inflicted in the form of injustice, is it not time for those who have been baptized with the Holy Spirit to begin revealing the power of God and bearing witness to God's redemptive work in the world? Because we are in the middle, between one world and the next, moving from one life to the next, part of this life, yet not fully part of the life that is to come. This is why we have received the Holy Spirit, and may we bear witness to God's grace by the power of that Spirit. Thanks be to God for that Spirit. God bless each of you. We'll see you soon. Bye-bye.